From 11FS, this is Fintech Insider News. We have lots and lots of stories, but first up we have Stripe opens London Fintech Development Office, Wise launches a new feature called Assets, and UK restaurants to be banned from keeping tips made on card. All this and much, much more on today's show. Before we start, we want to tell you about something we've been cooking up at 11FS and hear a quick word from our sponsors. Temenos is the world's leader in banking software, helping over 3,000 banks serve over 1.2 billion people. Our purpose is to make banking better. Together with our community, we make banks more successful, individuals better banked, and society better served. With our software, banks can create more human, differentiated digital experiences, hyper-efficient business models to benefit the bank and their customers, and simplify and transform their back office. Our clients are the highest performing banks with cost income ratios, which are twice better than the industry average. Learn more at temenos.com. Looking to sharpen your competitive edge when it comes to design? Join hundreds of subscribers using 11FS Pulse to solve their users' problems and get to market faster. Discover over 4,000 user journeys from global brands like Revolut, Curve and Soldo and learn how to design winning customer propositions with our expert analysis. Get started today by visiting bit.ly forward slash get a pulse demo. Welcome to episode 566 of Fintech Insider. My name is Debbie Breer and I'm joined by my 11FS colleague, Gwera Kiwana. How are you doing? Doing okay. I'm just coming off of my first camping trip of the year, uh, so feeling very outdoorsy but also need a vacation from the vacation. But yeah, feeling good otherwise. Running on adrenaline. You need a vacation for your vacation. Yeah. Uh, I'll be honest, I find it hard to feel sorry for you needing a vacation from your vacation. But at that time, and like camping in Africa sounds amazing. That sounds like a great thing. But uh, Yeah, we, we did have an elephant walk past the tent at uh, 2 a.m. On, on Saturday night. So that was uh, definitely a bucket list item. Yeah, it's very different from the sparrows waking me up at four o'clock in the morning when I do it with my kids in my uh, in my backyard, isn't it? But uh, but yeah, you win that one then, Maguero. Well done. Um, of course, as always, we're joined by some super duper awesome guests. Making a welcome return to Fintech Insider, we have Aaron Thamaraja, who is the head of European banking at Wise. Aaron, how are you doing? Hey, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I just got back from Money 2020, so um, feeling very energized and also a bit drained from talking to so many people. Yeah, spending a week in, uh, in in Amsterdam does that to, to people, doesn't it? Uh, regardless of uh, why you're there. But, uh, but it looked like the conference was good. We'll, we'll probably get into that a little bit more. But uh, lots of announcements for WISE this week. So we're, we're for sort of foreshadowing the news a little bit. We'll be, uh, we'll be coming to that very shortly. But uh, next up, making their debut on Fintech Insider, we have Matt Henderson, who is the Amir business lead at Stripe. Matt, how are you doing? Lovely to have you on the show. I'm great, thanks. Hi, David. Hi, Guerra. Great to join you. Very good. I mean, big news week for Stripe. I mean, I think pretty much every week is quite a big news week for Stripe, isn't it? Given uh, all the uh, momentum and everything that's been built up. And again, we'll be coming to that very shortly. But uh, lovely to have you on the show. And making a, a welcome return. I mean, OG of Fintech Insider herself, Sophie Givord. How are you doing, Sophie? You're the Chief Growth Officer over OpenPaid now. But uh, I mean, I think you were on episode two of this show, weren't you? Given the fact we're on uh, 500 and something now. It's uh, great to hear from you again. How's things? Yeah, no, so super good. I think I have been in like, uh, yeah, like many more episodes actually, like quite recently with Simon, um, but very good as well. I was in Amsterdam, been missing our steak from three years ago, David. 
Yeah, if anybody doesn't know, don't ever go out for steak with Sophie. She basically eats it still on the cow. Like, uh, I've never seen somebody eat raw steak like uh, like Sophie does. But hey, yeah, she tells me it's the way to do it. So who am I to judge? All right, we better get into it. And uh, there's loads and loads and loads of different stories to, to cover. But uh, starting with one that we was picked up in lots of different places. But firstly, where we saw it was over in Finextra is Stripe opens London fintech development office. So Stripe is opening a fintech development office in London focused on open banking, embedded finance, and bank partner integrations. The move comes just a week after Stripe Outline plans to recruit hundreds more engineers in Dublin over the next three years. The FinTech Development Office will report to the Dublin Engineering Hub and will be led by Emma Burrows, Stripe's Head of Engineering in London. I mean, Matt, it seems rude not to come to you first on this one, really, given you're probably going to be way more informed about it than me just making some stuff up. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about Stripe's decision to invest in in London as a as an office. Yeah, so absolutely. So, so firstly, over the past year, we've really grown the London engineering office from almost a standing start. I think a year ago, we had two engineers in London. We're um, over 40 now, probably 45, getting up close to 50. And what we've realized is that... Uh, we, we deliberately started to staff teams to leverage the amazing finance ecosystem in, uh, in London. And, um, and also we found that a lot of the talent that we were recruiting were coming from fintech companies and the like. And um, so there was this organic emergence of a, of a common thread across the engineering teams that we've been staffing here. And uh, what we realized is it, given that we're going to just keep investing in, uh, in in our location here, we'd really like to double down on the theme, and and um, and and that's really the basis for for this announcement of of having the fintech development center. Um, we we think it's it's really interesting in a number of regards because, of course, Stripe partners with a lot of finance players from traditional banks to to other fintech companies. Um, but then also uh, fintech companies represent a very important user segment, customer segment for Stripe as well. And so for a number of reasons, that means that, that I think that the London Engineering Office is, is going to be a very important place for us. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, how does that relationship then between sort of London and Dublin work in terms of the, obviously, you know, Stripe's a, a global company. You guys are operating in many different locations, aren't you? But how, how will that work? Yeah, so Dublin is one of Stripe's uh, two uh, global headquarters. And so um, Dublin is really, we think of it as our international headquarters. It's our largest center of gravity outside of the US. We um, have our largest group of, of, of Stripes in the region are in Dublin. Um, the engineering hub in Dublin is now uh, like 100 or more than 100 folks growing like crazy. We're, we're very uh, ambitious about the talent there as well. And we also have uh, several of our of our senior leadership roles, including my role, based based in Dublin as well. And so, um, so as we build up the London org, it's going to be a, a part of this wider EMEA org that is led from Dublin. Very cool. I mean, you, you touched on it a little bit about uh, obviously what the UK and you know London very specifically, I guess, given where the office is being sort of placed, sort of brings. We are a bit of a, you know, probably one of the the most, uh, you know, melting pots of that regulation or opportunity from big bank or tech or anything that we've, we've really seen. I mean, it's interesting 
you guys, uh, lots of fintechs have started here that have been exported into other places, but you guys are sort of coming into this ecosystem. I mean, it'd be interesting. Uh, have you seen any differences within the London space that you maybe, you know, with Silicon Valley and the different places that Stripe has sort of operated? What was sort of the attraction, I guess? Yeah, well, well so so firstly, we... Um, we have a lot of European heritage. We sort of have always, in part because uh, Stripe's founders are Irish, it's meant that the company has always had quite an orientation internationally and, and to Europe in particular. But the UK has actually been a, a really important market for us for um, for a long time now. I think we uh, Stripe launched in the UK in 2013. There's really uh, an amazing like generation of kind of iconic UK tech companies that when they were startups, they started with Stripe and and have grown with Stripe. And so, um, you know, you think of Deliveroo, of, of Depop, of Kazoo, of Nutmeg. Um, you know, these are all uh, are all UK uh, icons that are that are that are leveraging Stripe. Um, the other thing is um, the. And, and this is especially relevant as you think about um, payments as fintech and and the opportunities in embedded finance as well. Is thinking about um, some of the other traditional brands, and um, you know, there's there's UK heritage brands like Hargreaves, Lansdowne, or you know, in in the in the restaurant sector, companies like like Nando's and Oaxaca and so on. These are all companies using Stripe as well, and and rapidly moving from a an in-person economy to to the opportunities that are coming up with with the digital economy um, so there's so much there's there's awesome happening in the uk market there's also uh clearly an amazing pool of talent not just in london but but around the uk and so you know it's it's very important for us in that regard and we're we're excited you know it, it's also as someone who's been in in tech in europe for um for more than 20 years now I just love the fact that there's a whole different tech environment now in in London and and the rest of the UK compared to uh, you know 10 15 years ago so many more startups starting so much more of a supportive ecosystem for it and uh, and so we're we're just excited to play a role with that and help things continue to grow in the region Fantastic. I mean, one of the things I always, um, we were lucky enough to we had uh, Patrick Collinson on Fintech Insider. I think it was 3.30, episode 3.30, if anybody wants to go back and listen to that. I always love the simplicity and the vision. You know, it's listen to customers, do that, repeat. You know, and actually there's something really nice to that in terms of actually how do you approach a market? Well, you understand that you need to get to understand the market and actually do something that adds value to that market in that sense, right? I know you guys, uh, I'm sure we can't get into too much around uh, product roadmaps and all the different things that you guys are kind of looking at, but from a features capability and the things that you guys are deploying, I mean, you seem to be on no... Uh, slowing down when it comes to innovations in the space. So I imagine we should be expecting more and more from you guys in the years to come, eh? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and you know, it's, um, well, while I won't make any surprise announcements, <laughs> um, I, you know, I, we, we can talk about the future. And the, you know, if you kind of unpack Stripe's mission of, of wanting to increase the GDP of the internet, that really comes about through enabling business to take place that wouldn't have otherwise taken place. And there's a few like themes 
that we're really building along in order to make that happen. One of them is simply like reducing friction and, and improving performance of, of payments such that conversion's a bit better and, and you get more business that way. Um, but another big theme is globalization. And so, you know, as you see Stripe announcing, uh, launching in, in different countries around the world, including a lot more in, in the region around EMEA here, um, as you see also the, the degree that we launch capabilities to enable global businesses. So, so many businesses that struggle with really addressing having parts of their platform being sellers from all over the world, doing payouts for all of those businesses, handling like multiple currencies and um, also addressing a global buyer audience that may have a huge number of, of, uh, of payment methods that they prefer. And so, a lot of our work in the future is about uh, creating like a really like stitched together payments network for the world that helps to make globalization just a, a much, much easier thing for businesses. The other theme is, is, is really, you know, one of the things that I think is, is, is really relevant for you is this embedded finance theme. And, you know, there's so much opportunity. We see so much opportunity in the companies that have the direct relationship with consumers and businesses, you know, B2B SaaS tech companies, platforms and so on. We think that they will be the fintech companies of the future, even if they don't define themselves as fintech companies now, uh, they'll often be in the best position to be able to offer a payment service or an account holding or a loan to their customers informed by the data from their use of that product. And uh, you will see Stripe continuing to build really in that in that theme of embedded finance through enabling these other companies. Um, and we think that the London uh, FinTech Development Office is going to be uh, playing a key role in that. Fantastic. I mean, it's as you say, it's that distribution, isn't it? You know, we've had uh, Shopify on the show a number of times before. And, you know, when you get non- financial services players making a, a really good proportion of their revenue from financial services, then, you know, the market is fundamentally shifting, isn't it? Guerra, I mean, having Stripe in London, that feels like a good thing, doesn't it? For Not, not just for Stripe, you know, as you say, Matt, there's a lot of opportunity there, but this feels like a, a real positive thing for, for London as an ecosystem, having, you know, more big players in and amongst uh, really sort of developing out what we're doing, right? Absolutely. I mean, it definitely solidifies my decision to move to London selfishly, you know, as, as the fintech tech global capital. I mean, you know, Stripe is, obviously has uh, some family in London, you know, in, in, in the sense of like Monzo and TrueLayer, companies you've invested in unicorns in the London stable. So like, it is like quite, you know, a nice reminder that London is that girl, you know? So yeah, shout out to Stripe's uh, move. Well, not move, but yeah. Well, well, uh, yeah. I mean, you didn't have to pack the bags and move too far from from Dublin, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> but I guess with everything that's happened with Brexit, you know, this is probably a a real positive sign that actually big organisations have not been put off coming to. I'm sure Sadiq Khan and uh, and and whatnot will be uh, sort of banging the drum for look. London is still an attractive place for bringing really large organisations into, and particularly in the financial services sense, given the the landscape that we've got. But Arun, what do you think on this one? It's a Bit, bit weird to talk about Matt while he's here, isn't he? But uh, but you know, uh, but but actually, what what do you think? I mean, having a, a alongside Wise, having another giant fintech company coming into the space is that's a, a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think at Wise we we look at Stripe as being another really awesome mission driven company. You know, we at Wise have a a super clear mission of money without borders, and I think 
at Stripe, we look at that and at your mission of increasing the GDP of the internet and think that's that's super cool as well. And the more smart, awesome people that we have in London and you know, whilst Wise is a company that's based all over the world, London was our kind of our first home. It's where we're set up. It's where we, we're regulated. And it's where our first transfers came from. It's it's just good. And the more the more awesome people we have, the the better it is for London and the fintech scene overall. Yeah. I'm slightly worried about the competition for talent in London, given all of these amazing organizations that keep popping up. That's going to be a real challenge. But uh, but that's, uh, you know, on the other side, with all of the changes that we've seen with uh, everything that's happened with COVID, then it's a trade-off between cheap office space and expensive resources, isn't it? So uh, we've got to kind of figure that out. But so Sophie, what do you uh, what do you think on this one? Is this, uh, is this another good sign for, for London and I guess Europe more broadly as well? Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. I mean, like, like London is still the place to be for, for fintech and I don't see that changing in a, in a million years. And the truth is that the talent is in London too. So like, uh, it's what I thought immediately. It's like, of course, like you are still setting up offices in London because essentially, basically it's London that grew the new wave of fintech since 2010. So like, if you want some people that are experienced in, uh, in the matter and are able to take fintech to, to the next stage, um, well, you, 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 you need to come here essentially. Well, I mean, I think we could probably talk about this one further and, and try and put as many words into Matt's mouth as we, we could to uh, give us an indication of the future roadmap of Stripe. But I don't, I like, he's, he's shaking his head. He's not going to do it. So uh, we, we better move on. And Matt, you can definitely come back and tell us about those things as uh, as time goes on. But we, we better move on because you weren't the other only announcement. Um, this week also, a story that was broken in a few different places, but actually uh, the one that we picked up was over on CNBC, was uh, Wise Launcher's feature that lets you users spend money invested in stocks. So UK fintech firm Wise has launched a feature called Assets, which lets users invest in a portfolio of stocks. Customers can also instantly spend or send up to 97% of their invested money. The idea being that customers can hold their funds in stocks, but also still spend and send money in real time. The company is initially launching assets for personal and business customers in the UK, but plans to roll it out in Europe at a later date. The company says that it, its customers now hold a total of $4.3 billion, that's $5.9 billion, in their balances globally, which is an amazing, you know, a staggering fee, um, a staggering amount in terms of that is, you know, sitting there in balances. So, I mean, Aaron, a super exciting week for you guys at uh, 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 Wise. Tell us a little bit more about the product. Yeah, sure. So... We are we're, we're super excited about this, and as you kind of alluded to, we we feel really humbled that customers have been able to trust us, and we hold over four billion pounds in what we call our multi-currency account, which allows you to send, spend, and receive in over fifty currencies worldwide. However, we aren't a bank, and what that means is that we aren't allowed to pay interest. On customer funds. Now, in reality, if you look at the UK banking sector, most current accounts don't really pay much interest anyway because of the state of the economy and where the world is right now. But customers have still been telling us for a long time, we want our money to work for us whilst it's with WISE. Now, loads of people talked a lot about in the past, which is customers are becoming more financially savvy, investments are becoming far more accessible to loads of people and people are becoming way more financially literate about gaining a return on their funds. 
So what we've done is we've launched a feature called Assets. And what this allows you to do is it gives you the flexibility of a current account whilst getting the benefits of an investment product. So we invest your money in a mutual fund powered by BlackRock. Now, this is a mutual fund which incorporates and invests in some of the world's largest companies, including some of the US big tech companies. And whilst the money is invested, you can also then spend it on your card or send your money to a friend and it will debit it from that invested balance. Now, typically when you invest in a mutual fund, what usually happens is when you want to withdraw those funds, it can often take two or three days to do so. However, we have this feature called instant spend, which allows that to happen instantly. So it gives you the flexibility that you'd normally have of balances in a current account, but also gives you the interest and the appreciation or hopeful appreciation of an invested balance at the same time. So we're really excited about it. Yeah, super interesting. Just just so I'm getting this right, mm-hmm. rather than keeping my money in pounds, let's say, mm-hmm. essentially I'm keeping my, my balance that would be in my current account in a uh, mutual fund, you know, stocks, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, so that, I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? Because it's like, in, in a world where, you know, currency is fluctuating and, you know, everything that we're sort of seeing, is it better to hold your money in uh, in that fund that is growing continually than it is the the balances that you have? I mean, I guess, and, and I guess when you've spoken to customers as, as often you do to, to sort of get feedback on on, on this, I mean, the, the conventional wisdom with, with stocks investment is you do it and then you try and forget about it for as long as you can and kind of come back. But this is kind of making it every day in terms of the, the investment side cycle and also the, uh, the the being able to chip away from that if you need it, right? Yeah, exactly. So we're, we're approaching this with the way we've approached cross-border money transfer, which is receiving money in one currency shouldn't be that much more difficult than receiving money in a different currency. Now, we apply the same principle to investments. So you don't necessarily have to have a pound balance. You could perhaps be earning your salary in euros or US dollars. And the way the product was, works is exactly the same. You still hold your money in in an asset, in what we call stocks and that mutual fund. However, we take care of the cross-currency experience. We make sure there's no hidden fees and we allow you to convert your money at the mid-market exchange rate whilst we do so. So, you know, our customers are borderless people. They live borderless lives. They move around, especially during COVID, people have relocated to one another country and they are receiving money, a different currency. And this this problem is confusing. And then when you want to throw the investment problem on top of that, it adds another layer of complexity. What we're trying to do is remove some of that complexity and make it as easy as possible while still educating customers about the potential risks of investment, because we believe that's also super important. Yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, Guerra, I'm going to come to you on this one as, as the 11FS resident borderless human being based on the fact that you've lived in, like, just in, like, the last couple of months, like, Canada and Africa and, you know, obviously uh, everything that we do in the UK. I mean, this sounds like a really interesting product, doesn't it? Actually, and a, and a different take on solving that problem in terms of, well, how are you make, maximizing the funds that you've got available, right? Absolutely. I use out of all the you know financial tools that I use, I use Wise probably the most, um, just for moving money around. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a good product. You know, it, it works and it's it's easy. Like I, 
you know, I'll, I'll be at a gas station and, and I'll forget that I forgot to top up my M-Pesa. And then I'll just in two seconds send money over from my wallet from the borderless account into my M-Pesa. It takes like a couple seconds. So, yeah, I use it quite a lot. It would be I mean, I would be even a stickier user if I, if I could expand my my use of, of the product. So with stocks and maybe even at some point savings, I hope, like, you know, some kind of uh, more secure savings. My question is, like, you know, the the. The stock market is being propped up by retail investors. So like millennials and Gen Z, Gen Z are getting quite um, into stocks. Like we talked about like the financial education piece. Like how is Wise doing that like wisely? Oh, yes. <laughs> I, think, I think there's two things, right? So one is we have to do it because we are a regulated investment company. So we received our investment license by, from the FCA last summer. So there are a number of obligations that we have to do, but we also want to really educate customers about look, these are the risks. Your money could go up, it could go down. We're not doing anything super complicated like margin trading or you know, inve- allowing customers to invest any money that they don't have. And we're being really clear throughout the sign-up process that this is what your money's being held in. This is the proportion of balance that's invested in, in this company. And typically, this is what's happened to that fund over a set period of time. And we're explaining to customers that it's really important that you make that decision independently. We can't advise you on what to invest in. We're just going to state the facts to you. And we, we're trying and hoping that customers can make those decisions using all the information they have available to them. It's it's something we're learning as we as we go along, but we really hope that we can improve not just on the investment experience, but also the education piece and the financial literacy piece at the same time. Yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, Matt, what do you think on this one? It's uh, a really interesting sort of development in that, you know, something that, you know, balances of sitting money just sitting there in a pot, not really doing anything. It's, uh, you know, this is putting money to work, I guess. Yeah, I think it's cool. I mean, I I started using Wise in uh, 2014, and at the time it was almost like a revelation. And I I started to feel like there was this big injustice whenever I walked into an airport and saw a TravelX and the like the, the fees that people were paying. And I realized like how how much of a better setup I had with Wise. And uh, so you know, it's it's I'm a big fan. And um, and I think this seems like a really cool step. Mm, it is interesting, isn't it, uh, Sophie? Like you look back on those things. I remember my parents getting like uh, travel money out at the airport and whatnot. Like fintech really has changed a lot of different slices of financial services, isn't it? It's exactly what I was thinking. Like it's the second time during this show that every time like you're like uh, bringing me to my point. So that's great. It's like I've done this before, isn't it? Like I've, it's like I've run a podcast before. You wouldn't have thought it. Would really? You? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but what a long way have we come? I mean, the last 10 years, like 10 years ago, did you really think we would do that? You know, like I, I really don't think so. And it's so amazing to see how actually like people's brain is changing, their habits is changing because essentially like all the possibilities that have been created by by fintech is really enabling that. And it brings me back to uh, some things that have come up like lately uh, amongst our people essentially like now our people, some of them are asking to be paid in crypto. So we are looking at essentially um, seeing how we can do that. But it just shows how actually the new generation and basically fintech users are leveraging what is um, offered to them, but super powering it with new kind of habits that fits how they live. And I just find it amazing. Yeah. I mean, do you think we're a sort of a, I mean, obviously, you know, 
wise, formerly transfer wise, you know, Beachhead was transfers globally, you know, Revolut started as a travel card, now is doing all of the different things. You know, we're, we're seeing a real broadening out from the the beachhead of, of, of fintech to, to solve more and more and more problems. Is that is that something do you think, Sophie, we're going to see more and more and more of in the market? Because, you know, well capital, you know, Aaron, you know, wise, well capitalized, you know, big company looking for growth opportunities. I mean, Sophie, do you think we're going to see more and more and more of this or almost the extra slices of financial services being being tackled? So I, I think like yes and no, my answer. So yes, because I think there are some consumers that are very much into like one place, everything, the super app concept. And so I think like consumers are brought in into it and like to have one place to do everything they, they need. And I think it's possibly like the people that are more the most into their finances, interested in it, like see what they can do better with it. On the other side, I, I would say that embedded finance like brings new propositions also to the type of people that actually don't want that and just want money when where they need it right like buy now pay later when when they need it like payments when they need it international payments when they need it so i i think it's potentially two category of people or two maybe moments of the day or <laughs> moments in life. Um, so I, I truly b like believe in everything in the same place. I, I really like to, to do so. But I also want the, the convenience of embedded finance of getting what I need when I need it without having to like, I just don't know, get a loan. You know, I, I for example, I bought my car and like credit is like super low at um at the moment, so why, like, why not? But going to my bank and having to do that at the bank, it's it sucks, right? So it's where, like, I really believe in embedded finance for, like, even use case like like myself of give me everything when I need it, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely with you on that one. It's um, it's a funny one, isn't it? I mean, there's a whole bunch of people who listen to this and us all on this podcast where it's like fintech and financial services is like the thing we think about all the time. But normal people don't care. Like normal people don't care about this stuff because essentially they just want to achieve the things that they actually want to achieve rather than, you know, thinking about which app and what app. But that's why I think convenience is such an important thing. As you say, it's if you can take the the solution to as close to the problem as you can, then you're probably going to be the people who uh, help customers solve those things more and more, aren't you? But uh, I know we'll talk a little bit more about embedded finance a little bit later on in the show though so on that note we're gonna to have to take a little bit of a break we'll be back with you in a second there is a better way to hire internationally and it starts with deal everything from contract creation record keeping payments and full-time employment is all in one place for teams all over the world companies anywhere can hire compliantly everywhere thanks to deal it's payroll and compliance built for today's worldwide workforce to learn more, visit Let's Deal forward slash 11FS. That's Let's Deal, D-E-E-L dot com forward slash 11FS and redeem an exclusive offer of three months free when you hire a contractor and 20% for your first year when you hire an employee. Fintech Meetup is the world's largest fintech meeting event. We're facilitating more than 30,000 meetings for 4,000 participants. It takes place online March 8th to the 10th, 2022. Join startups, established fintechs, investors, banks and credit unions, media analysts and much, much more as they come together for partnership discussions, vendor presentations, investment pitches and other meaningful collaborations. For more information and to get your ticket, 
go to www.fintechmeetup.com. Okie dokie. All right. Next up, we have a story that was over on the Evening Standard and covered, I think, pretty much on every uh, every different place that I was looking uh, this week. JP Morgan to launch Chase in the UK. Uh, Chase, JP Morgan's new digital bank, has officially launched in the UK this week. The bank will offer customers 1% cashback on debit card spending for the first year. The cashback will offer and cover everyday expenditure, including groceries, travel, meals, and entertainment. Chase customers will be able to round up card purchases to the nearest pound and have spare cash automatically deposited into savings accounts, offering 5% annual interest for the first 12 months. I mean, in comparison to sort of, as you were saying earlier on, Aaron, zero in pretty much every other account. So Chase will initially offer current accounts, but plans to expand into savings, investments, lending, pensions, and a bunch of other stuff. I, I mean, Guerra, what do you think on this one? Like, JP, I mean, this has been foreshadowed for for. for Pretty much, it feels like about four years, isn't it? These guys kind of coming to the UK and launching something. And obviously, this is sort of hot off the back of, you know, Finn, that was sort of Chase's challenger bank in the US, sort of starting up and closing down. So, I mean, do we do we see a, a different ending, do you think, to this story? I see a very fruitful ending for them. Like, I, you know, like, I think that the JP Morgan Chase is like a cool brand. Uh, like, I say that with a bit of hesitance, but because they're, you know, like an old school bank, but, you know, they have some really cool products in, in North America that are, you know, very, very popular. Um, like, this, their feature offering is insane to me. Like, it's like they have table stakes offerings. So, like, you know, an account card you know, roundups. But then on top of that, they have like this supercharged, like extra stuff that like, if, if you could describe, if I could describe them as if I use a metaphor, I'd say like the high street banks in the UK are like cruise liners, like a big old ship. Uh, and then the neobanks are like um, speedboats, right? Zooming around them and kind of, you know, going really quickly. But these guys are like a yacht, like a, some kind of like, like really fancy, like expensive yacht that just has a ton of money to do like a ton of cool things. So I like, I'm personally kind of waiting for that, that sign up button to, to be available. Uh, Cause I'd, I'd like to try it out. But yeah, I think that, uh, I think that this splash is, is definitely a bigger splash than, you know, their competitors like Goldman Sachs who came in with Marcus Less sexy product savings. I mean, savings is cool, uh, but you know, I think that uh, JP Morgan um, have have really just like dove headfirst into their yacht. I guess. I think Jamie Dimon's definitely on that yacht as well, isn't he? To, to continue that <laughs> metaphor. But uh, I mean, it, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we uh, obviously we saw Marcus land in the UK and have a very attractive rate, which carried you know real credibility in terms of tables and you know brought in the opportunity to acquire a lot of customers really quickly i mean this isn't the first time we've seen a big bank trying to launch a small bank in the uk obviously you know natwest tried to launch bow you know but but this seems to be the first time that actually it's a it's a really fully rounded proposition to a certain degree as you as you say guerra i, I mean uh, with cashback and a saving setup. I mean, I haven't I haven't read through a lot of the T's and C's yet. I'm sure there'll be some stipulations on balances and yada 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 yada. But but you kind of feel like they'll acquire customers really quickly. I guess the the other thing to think about this is you know fintech acquisition is very much you know movement and growth and you know member get member. 
that Chase are going to spend an absolute crap ton on like media and like above the line media to kind of make this front of mind for for normal people, not fintech people, right? So with those rates, with that media spend, and they can afford to exactly, yeah. So it just sort of feels like I'm not sure how this cannot be successful at this stage, given given where they're going to position it and the amount of money that they'll spend to to get people to be aware of it. You know, I mean, they, they were sort of joking, weren't they, this week about the Emma Raducanu success in the US Open with all of the Chase stuff in the background. Like, if they wanted brand awareness in the UK market, like, they got it immediately, uh, which is uh, kind of amazing. But, uh, I mean, so- Sophie, what-, what do you think on this one? It- is this? Do you think this is going to succeed? I think, basically, it's all in how do they develop customer stickiness, right? Because, like, it's totally fine to throw, like, lots of money, like, in cashback saving accounts. I honestly want to uh, to subscribe as well and, and try it out. Uh, but obviously over time, like how do you justify so much, so much cost in cashback and, uh, and things like that? So I think it's really about how they will basically execute on customer stickiness. Like I think they are making smart moves, not the acquisition of Nutmeg makes total sense. I think they have like a couple years to uh, to develop like those different hooks that makes people just want to get it main, uh, become main account, but it's always the the play. But I think with the offerings they are putting forward, they are putting all their chances, at least in acquisition. Now it's really about, well, what else makes me stay as a customer? And of course, the the customer service. Like, Yeah, I think that is always the challenge, isn't it? If if your hook is rates and those rates eventually change, like we have seen with, you know, uh, Marcus to a certain degree in terms of uh, acquisition of customers based on those things and the market shifts and the market changes, you know, can you keep them beyond that? But, you know, as a, as a way of uh, putting lots of air in the balloon, it's a, it's a pretty good strategy if you can afford to do it. But uh, Arun, what do you, what do you think on this one? Is it, uh, is it good to have another, another challenger bank, do you think in the market sort of pushing competition and, you know, ultimately the customer benefits if they've got choice, right? Yeah, yeah, I think you nailed it there. Competition is is good. I think it's it's really cool to see another big US brand come into the UK, and you know the advantage they have that you know perhaps a new challenger doesn't have is that they immediately have the brand that people trust. And when it comes to money and holding money, you know we've we've spoken to a lot of customers and they want to know is my money safe if I leave it with you? And with the JP Morgan Chase brand associated with with that it's they've automatically got that advantage over someone who starts a completely new brand from scratch but i think the interesting thing is you know getting a hold of customers money and effectively buying that money with attractive rates is is quite easy to do but then then what happens you know what what are they going to do to monetize those customers what is their long-term strategy because you know as we've seen retail banking in the uk isn't profitable on its own really it's only when you start putting that customer money to work and that's possibly why they might have gone and bought someone like nutmeg because just simply holding money on an account is that is actually quite costly when you add in all the the regulatory overheads all the people overheads all the staff overheads so i'm interested to see what their long-term strategy is but certainly the the product seems very you know fully featured from day one which i think is quite impressive. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting one. uh, And and Matt, maybe coming to you on this one, if you've uh, got any thoughts on it, but, you know, with somebody like JP Morgan Chase, you know, Finn in the US was very much about, you know, birthing the next generation of what the bank will will become. And it's interesting then that they've sort of, with that, you know, wrapping up, they've sort of gone 
okay, well, we're going to try it again in a different market with different conditions, with different technology, with, you know, uh, it, it's an interesting strategy, isn't it? We've seen quite a lot of banks globally attempt to do these types of things. But, you know, second time round, they seem to have got the the formula of what's good for the bank and what's great for customers, you know, pretty pretty well balanced. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it goes over, over the next couple of years. So um, the uh, certainly, I mean, it seems like a compelling start for sure. Listen, you know, the way I feel about it is, um, well, part of the reason why I'm I'm very positive about moves like this is that the competition and the investment in the user experience of the banking offers sort of helps to like raise the bar for the rest of the services as well, for, for, for the other players as well. And what I think we have seen in the last few years is that as Revolut and Monzo and others created a better um, app experience and, um, and and a more competitive environment for some of the most attractive customers. It kind of led the traditional banks to improve their experiences as well. And one of the things that I'm really intrigued about that has happened as a result is it made authentication better. I don't know if you tried to do like an open banking payment or even a two-factor authentication for for like an, a, a high value um, card transaction but it, the experience like used to be really bad and um, not surprisingly the conversion rates were terrible as well and I think the rate of change of improving that authentication experience was was pretty slow because there wasn't a lot of pressure to improve it but then once you had Revolut and Monzo creating a really great in-app face ID, authentication experience for bank or cards like for a bank transfer or or for cards it then led the traditional banks to invest in making the same improvements now that that the collective action then actually helps to ignite change in the payments industry which of course I'm terrifically interested in and I think one of the like the the side effects of that has been now like the real um, inflection around open banking and and the inflection and takeoff of open banking payment initiation which is really supported by that improved bank authentication uh, experience so uh, I think that could herald a lot of changes in the industry. Mm. I know you're completely right. I mean, the more we see in the market, the more actually everybody continually needs to keep stepping their game up, don't they? And uh, as I sort of mentioned a a little bit earlier on, I guess the the better that is the higher that line, the the better the serving of the customer is essentially, isn't it? Which uh, is what everybody's in this game to do in the in the first place, really. So, but it is uh, to a point earlier on. It's it's almost changing where the market entry point is. You know, actually, when Monzo and Revolut and Starling and whatnot got into the game, then the functionality could be quite limited. That that minimum lovable product, that market entry point. You know, where Wise was, where Revolut was, where Monzo was, is becoming the benchmark now just for like table stakes, isn't it? And and that's really interesting, isn't it? As customers become more and more demanding, the their expectations are getting higher and higher and higher of what everybody should be delivering, not just uh, the speedboats, as Guerra was uh, was referring to earlier on. So, uh, I, I do. Sorry, I do have one last thing to add to that. It's a bit of a plug as well, but like, um, yeah, it's interesting to say that because um, one of our colleagues, Adil, just uh, published something on the Eleven Plus Content Hub about how new neo banks need to take bolder bets. Uh, obviously, citing the Eleven um, FS's uh, truly digital manifesto, like talking about how neo banks can do that. 
um, like you said, like a lot of the what what the Monzos and the Starlings have done is just been the tide that rises all the boats. Another boat metaphor. <laughs> so you know their entries. It's it, it just it's new times, exciting times ahead. It is, yeah, it really is. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting on this one. I mean, I, I, uh, we'll reach out and try and get somebody on from from Chase to kind of talk a little bit more about it because when you've seen other propositions like this launch, we always sort of say the difference between a project and a business. You know often big banks think in projects of features and functionality. and But in this one, I, I really do get the sense that there's a lot more to come behind the scenes. So uh, often if you've they've set up the operating model to actually consistently deliver, which it sounds like they have done, then I think there'll be more to come. So uh, let's reach out and see if they'll come on the show. All right. Uh, next up, there was a story that was over on TechCrunch, which is TrueLayer raises $130 million and becomes a unicorn. Uh, it seems like everybody's doing that these days, though, doesn't it? Uh, TrueLayer, which provides technology for developers to engage and enable a range of open banking-based services, has raised $130 million, giving them a valuation of over a billion dollars at this point. Tiger Global Management is leading the round and payments juggernaut Stripe. Matt, if you've got any checks laying around, uh, I will talk to you later on, uh, is also participating in, in that round. Services that TrueLayer is currently included is payments, payouts, user account information, and user verification. And users of TrueLayer include neobanks, crypto startups, wealth management apps, and a bunch of other people in that space, and broader into more of the embedded finances we were talking about earlier on, going into gaming marketplaces and all sorts of stuff. He was too busy over in Amsterdam this week, but we managed to get TrueLayer CEO Francisco Simonesca to record a little bit about what his thoughts were on the raise and maybe what they're going to be doing with the money. So let's hear from him now. Hello, FinTech Insider. I cannot be there with you in the studio today. I'm at Money 2020 in Amsterdam. As you know, it's been a very busy week for us. We announced our 130 million fundraise this week, an investment led by Tiger Global and Stripe, which will help us to really supercharge the uh, mainstream adoption of open banking payments in UK and, and, and Europe and, and, and hopefully globally. The reason why we are so excited, it, it's because we really see a systemic issue with the way car payments work. We just believe they are fundamentally broken and fundamentally designed for different work. And as a result of this aging user experience, transactions are costly and there is a high risk of fraud. At Trulayer, we are really building a new global payment network, making instant and recurring payments available everywhere with a few line of code. And we believe this can be a step forward to re-engineer, redefine, the payment system itself. So thank you very much. I really looking forward to be with you maybe in the studio next time. And that's all from Amsterdam. Very, very good. I mean, it's it's fascinating. I mean, they, they've done so amazingly well over the last couple of years in terms of everything that TrueLayer have done, like signing up customers front, left and center, integrating into all sorts of things. It was, it feels like about five seconds ago, I used to, in rocket space, in Angel, go around and like tap on their door and sort of bother those guys while we were building something out for NatWest uh, at the time. And they've just exploded, which is amazing. Well, I mean, seeing you know, open banking capability organizations just flourish in this sense. I mean, Sophie, this is a, a good thing, again, for the industry, building more of those things at that that base layer that really fuel the industry to, to build other things out, right? 
Absolutely. And so we have definitely seen over the past 18 months, like increasing demand um, in terms of specifically payment uh, initiation from customers. So also like open banking and PSD2 is not something the end customers like <laughs> think about like every day. <laughs> um, uh, we see ourselves like in B2B customers that essentially like uh, it's a customer experience that they want to offer because it's actually is just great to keep the customer on, on your platform. And truly in terms of um, execution and vision, yes, is definitely has been definitely so strong by not only like developing the uh, the network like across countries, but also actually like developing very differentiated offering where they have their pay uh, direct offering and the other like specific use cases that their customers have been asking for. And so I think it's really how they have really succeeded in differentiating themselves in the in the race on open banking. Yeah. I mean, we covered on the show a couple of weeks ago, Guerra, the, the partnership between True Layering and Kazoo in terms of that, you know, further conversation around embedded and, and uh, finance in terms of everything that sort of goes with it. I mean, increasingly, I mean, uh, we, we've talked about this a number of times on the show before about, you know, all the sexy stuff used to be at the BTC level in terms of, uh, but, you know, put your fingers in your ears here, run a little bit like the, the thing, the apps on people's phones, but increasingly, and this will be sort of you know, music to your ears, Matt, for a, a stripe a little bit, but the B2B stuff is just hot. Like, and actually there's so much happening in that space. And those organizations are able to scale so quickly by solving these problems en masse, right? Tons of opportunity in B2B. And um, you can see open banking is is one more sort of potential disruptive technology that um, that I think is both has the potential to, to lower fees and remove costs from, from, uh, from payments, but also, you know, the, the user experience just keeps improving year after year after year. And I think that really has the potential to, um, to create a better, a better payments experience as well. Yeah, I agree. I think the excitement is like for B2B is, is sexy and cool uh, because of like what uh, the promise of what, TPPs like third-party providers can do with that tech, um, and you know, build for like super niche communities or build on top of whatever it is that they're already offering. So yeah, I think that's where that's where I'm excited with regards to B2B. Agree, and uh, we'll we'll have to uh, have to get them on the show uh, in person in a couple of weeks' time and uh, see if they've got any more to talk about this one. But I know uh, there'll definitely be more and more partnerships being announced in this space. I'm I'm sure as this uh, gets bigger and bigger and bigger, as we all sort of say, there's there's like a million things happening in fintech, and there's a bunch of stories that we just didn't get a chance to really do justice. But we're going to try and give a bit of a shout out and a bit of coverage to to those as well. So, Gary, do you want to get started with us? Absolutely. So, as uh, this is coming from Finextra, uh, so Curve joins the BM. NPL scramble. So Curve has become the second UK firm after Monzo to launch a buy now pay later service called Flex. Uh, Curve received FCA approval at the beginning of the month uh, for its version of Flex and the company actually also patented go back in time technology uh, that lets customers convert almost any purchase made on any card linked to the Curve platform in the past 12 months into an installment plan. So Curve claims its uh, product is better than the competition because it's not restricted to specific merchants, accounts, cards, or products. Uh, and in their beta testing uh, from September of 2020, so they've been testing it for a while, uh, 1,600 users have already flexed around 7,000 transactions into installment install, install loans worth over £1 million. So Curve's CEO um, commented, Curve Flex is almost certainly the most flexible credit solution in the market. Uh, and finally enough, Monzo launched their own BNPL product 
also called Flex uh, last week. So it was literally on the same day. Um, I got two emails <laughs> from both providers. It just, you know, it's, I think I'm, I'm hesitant to call it buy now, pay later and rather just call it like, um, because it's not at the checkout. Um, so it's more, I, I think of it more as like a financial planning tool uh, that lets people smooth their, their own cash flow. Um, but yeah, this is, it's really exciting. Also super FinTech London of two FinTechs to have the same name of the same product released on the same day. It's weird, isn't it? Uh, I know uh, definitely Sheshar won't uh, like being second launching that thing called Flex for sure, but we'll we'll get get him on the show to talk about it a little bit. I do like the idea with the curve one though that essentially you're in a position where when you're sitting there, you know, up to twelve months later, as you, as you say, Guerra, you can change your mind on how you want to pay for a thing. That's uh, that's quite fascinating in terms of uh, an experience, or even just you know, it's almost offering the flexibility of you know cash flow smoothing to individuals rather than it just being a uh, you know, something that's offered to businesses, isn't it? But uh, anyway, more to come on that one. Um, next story we had was uh, over on Altfire, which was Money's moves into banking as a service space. So mobile banking startup Money's is moving into bank as a service space. The latest funding round raised around 90 million in a Series C, taking its total raise to 162 million. The new round was led by its newest partner, Investec. As part of the pair's strategic partnership, Investec will adopt Money's as new banking as a service platform. Form. This will help Investec launch a new business current account for private companies. Uh, in the past year, Moneys has also entered into strategic partnerships with Mastercard to enhance its local banking across Europe. I mean, it's interesting and. There's a good quote here from from Norris Koppel, who's the the CEO of Moneys. Our BAS offering is completely end-to-end. It's everything you would need to launch a current account from scratch. I mean, back to the point we were making earlier on around B2B, I mean, it's one thing building one product that can acquire customers to that one brand. But actually, if you can solve the problem you can solve for yourself for many other people, then, you know, look, Sophie, like, I know you're on the show and I know we shouldn't bring you in on this one, but this is the type of thing when you were at Fedor, this is exactly what the play was, right? Build something you can show that solves a problem for you and then build it for, you know, solve that problem for other people. Do you want to just give us two seconds on a comment on this one? Yeah, absolutely. I think like the same things that happened to Fedor happened to Moniz, right? They did something like focused on uh, on retail so perfectly well. <laughs> well, Fedor back in the days, right? But that essentially doesn't make sense to keep it for yourself. And while would others need to reinvent the wheel while it's not their specialty to really do tech? I mean, like it's a, a massive opportunity that uh, definitely needs to uh, to to be looked into. I think it's what Starling is uh, to some extent doing with also their banking as a service offering in uh, in the UK. Definitely keeping all that great technology to yourself. It's just selfish, isn't it? Really. So share it with other people. Uh, back to you, Guerra. All right. So this is from the FinTech Times. Sixty-one percent of UK children use an app to manage their pocket money. So sixty-one percent of children between the ages of ten and fifteen use an app to manage their money, according to a new report from the personal finance comparison site finder.com. So 49% of 10-year-olds have said that they use a money app to save pocket money. And these figures have, you know, the figures ri- rises to 68% for 15-year-olds and 71% for 14-year-olds. Uh, 72% of parents had given them advice on how to manage their own money. And the second most common source of information uh, for money management really was from schools with 22% of, of, of children receiving guidance from teachers. Um, only 14% of say they, they've, they've learned their money management via a bank or an app provider, which is quite surprising to me. But I think that like as like 
the tail end of millennial, like early Gen Z, I feel like we're the last generation to have our baby photos in an album, like a physical album, same way that like this new generation are the last ones to like learn about money with like dirty coins and like um, actually like actual cash. Uh, so I, I wonder what that does also to like, you know, the, the uh, a person's psyche or even like understanding of the of what money's worth and what it is but yeah i mean children are learning about money more than than ever before which is really cool mm. it is interesting isn't it and and as you say about that what if only 14 percent are learning it from their bank then actually that's interesting isn't it it does leave a really interesting gap for uh education and financial education i know it's something that's been shouted about as something that should be being taught in schools not just in the uk but globally as uh as really just a staple thing um and i, I do take your point actually i think my my kids uh, often steal my change from the taxi when i'm uh, getting out in norwich but uh it's one of those ones i think they do it because it's like a novelty now because they don't think it's real money it's quite bizarre but uh Anyway, all right. So it brings us to the last story that we have uh, for the week. Uh, This was restaurants to be banned from keeping staff tips. Uh, This was covered in a a few different places, but um, we picked it up in the independent. So restaurants will no longer be allowed to keep waiters tips when customers pay by card under new legislation which is being put forward. Uh, Business Secretary Kawasi Kawateng, I think I probably got that right, is expected to announce plans to stop businesses from keeping the service charge. Under current legislation, they're allowed to do so when patrons pay by card. Uh, restaurants can choose whether to keep or pass on the service charge uh, that is paid on the card to the staff, but are being banned on keeping and retaining cash tips. Around 1.7 million hospitality workers stand to benefit from this new bill, which could see them receiving 100% of the service charge that's actually being passed on to them. Um, we actually went out onto the 11FS socials to, to kind of ask people what they do. I mean, how do you actually pay for tips on uh, things that you do? 57% of them said they pay by card. 34% say they pay by cash. And 8.5% said they don't tip, which is just mean. Like, it really is just mean. Um, I mean, I know as a UK, we're, we're not well known as being great tippers, are we, uh, when we're out and about uh, and abroad. But, I mean, Guerra, what, what do you think to this? Is this, I mean, it's good legislation because when you do tip, you do want it to go to the people who you're actually trying to get the money to, don't you? You pay the the restaurant for the service, but you want the tip to go to the person serving you. So is this just a good step in cutting out that middleman? This is a good step. Yeah. I think as someone who at one point in my life literally lived off tips, um, I like, I'm a big fan of this. Uh, I think legislation wise do another trick. Can they actually give servers and waiters like a living wage now? Maybe that's the next step, but yeah, um, this is, this is cool. I mean, my first job was at a restaurant. I was really bad at it. I never got any tips. So you must have been a way better than I was uh, in terms of uh, not spilling drinks on people when I was carrying their pints to their desks. But uh, um, Matt, what do you think on this one? Is this uh, a good step? I mean, how do you tip for things or are you in the 8.5%? <laughs> you know, I've found myself in a in a quandary since COVID because you, you sort of, you feel like you shouldn't tip with physical money because of the the extra risk that it creates that that you know using using cards is cleaner or safer but um but at the same time i have found myself being suspicious and doubting and there's also that um kind of comical desire to like have the 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 waiter or waitress like see that you've tipped (laughs) so it's like on cards it's harder to do that whereas with cash you get that gratification of feeling like you're a good person um and so you know, I, for sure, like now, I think I'll be more like like 
I'll be more likely to say, okay, no more cash tips. I'm just going to use card tips. Um, so, you know, it's, there'll probably be people like me and it'll have the desired effect. Well, that was very well skirted around there, Matt. You didn't say you weren't in the 8.5%, did you? you uh, but, uh... Oh, I, I'm, I'm not, of course, of course. <laughs> Generous. It's interesting, isn't it? Different countries have very different sort of views on that, don't they? And, and as you said earlier on, and actually in terms of different industries sort of working, you know, on, on a tip basis, I mean, the American market is so different in terms of the expectations around tipping and everything that, that that's there. But if you if you rely upon that as part of your as your income, then actually having that, you know, going into a, a central pot or middleman is is not a particularly great service, is it? But uh, Sophia, I know. I mean, I've seen you tip when they bring your uh, bloody steak out in the in the restaurant. So uh, um, you're a good tipper, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, in France, it's what we we do. I mean, a good tipper. I w- I cannot say that because we we in France we don't get, give the eighteen or twenty percent of the US, but it's something that you just do. And actually, like I have quite the, the cash problem since COVID. I, I just don't have cash with me and I feel so bad I, when I go to the restaurant and I realize I don't have money because in France, we cannot tip with card. They, they just don't do it. So I have been dreaming about like a fintech service. I don't know, just a, a contactless box, you know, but for all servers so that I can tip them with, uh, with my card because like Matt is talking about, okay, you want to show that you're a good person and you give money. Me, I feel such a bad person when I don't have coins and I spend like so much time like just apologizing for that because I really feel a bad person. Mm. It is interesting, isn't it? In an increasingly cashless society, those those signs of gratitude are, are, are difficult to to do, you know? So nobody's nana's giving them money in their birthday card anymore, are they? Like it's a, it's a, it's a QR code or something, isn't it? But Aaron, what do you think on this one? Is this a, again, is this a, a development in the market in the way in which, uh, you know, cash is di- just sort of disappearing in front of our very eyes? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think yeah, I, I always get really stressed out <laughs> towards the end of a meal when they haven't included the service charge as part of the bill, because, you know, when they do that, I feel at least relief that someone is telling me how much I should tip. <laughs> I don't have to figure it out for myself because when I go to the US, man, that that's really confusing for me because, you know, you pay by card and then you have to give them dollar bills for for other things. And, you know, at the same time, you know that they rely on those tips for service. So I really hope that this doesn't mean that wages in the UK for hospitality workers don't reduce because, you know, restaurant owners know that tips are going straight to them. I hope this is additional revenue that reflects good service because that's how it should be but no certainly I would you know we talked a bit about financial literacy but I would actually be very surprised to and intrigued to find out how much how much how many people actually know where their tips are going and I think trans you know we're a company that loves transparency I think actually the restaurant industry could do with a lot more transparency on if you tip where does it go and does and how much of this final tip does the waiter or waitress actually see? Yeah. Yeah, definitely kind of getting that understanding of it and it going all the way through would be good. And and as you say, just sort of cutting out a little bit of the uncomfortable mental maths after you've had a bottle of wine and a nice meal would be good, wouldn't it? So, uh, and on that note, we probably better wrap up. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us for the show. Uh, where can people learn a little bit more about everything you're up to, Matt and Stripe? Oh, uh, for me, I think if you go to stripe.com slash jobs, you can, uh, you can learn about all the different uh, ways that we're hiring, which um, gives you a clue into the myriad um, different cool things that we're building. 
Very, very cool. It's that, that race for talent, as I was talking about earlier on. Uh, Arun, where can people learn a little bit more about you? Sure. Uh, personally, you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter, but also please do check out wise.com. And I'll also plug our career site because now, now that Stripe are moving to London, we probably have talent to fight over. Very, very good. Sophie, where can people learn more? Yeah, so openpay.com and on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter personally. Very good. Guerra. 11fs.com and uh, on Twitter, not Guerra. Very good. As for me, I'm predominantly lurking on LinkedIn these days. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you very much for joining. Join the conversation over on pretty much every social media point at this stage. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider. Or if you really want to, email us on podcast at 11fs.com. Thank you very much for joining, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.